Hey there. Welcome to Hair, 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 a podcast about dolphins. No, it's a podcast about hair. I'm Josh Tyson, and today we're talking with Mark Bunkall. Mark is originally from Salt Lake City, and he sharpened his skills in Las Vegas, studying under folks like Robert Cromines, DJ Muldoon, Ira Pope Sage, Takashi Kitamura, Stephanie Kachilski, and Vivian McKinder. Mark moved to Denver in 2011 and recently opened Anatome Salon in the Rhino neighborhood here in town. My wife Nikki and I own Needle in the Hay Salon in Cherry Creek, where last month we hosted a cutting class with Mark. We've known Mark for years and couldn't wait for him to meet our team. For lack of a better descriptor, Mark is a righteous dude. He's into all sorts of cool things like trail running, marathons, good music, good beer, and he works hard to find silver linings in everything. Mark's class quickly became a forum. Everyone was weighing in, and as he led us through a one-length bob with layers underneath to add movement, we talked about the ways hair can speak, strategies for creating better symmetry, our animal reactions to hair, and what keeps us motivated behind the chair. After the class, Mark and I continued the conversation. Let's listen to an excerpt of the class right now, and then we'll get into our talk with Mark. Yeah, but when I ask that guest, I'm like, what do you mean by brassy? Explain what brassy means to me when you're talking about your hair. And she's just like, you know when like brass is tarnished and it's dull and it doesn't have shine anymore? And I'm like, no. so you're saying your hair's not shiny? She's like, no, I hate how dull it is when, it, when, when I come back um, after I've had my color done eight weeks ago. And I'm just like, oh. For three, four dates. That's what I call them. A, a, an experience with me, I like to call them dates. I think it's just a little bit more fun. We're in a relationship. I'm a long-term relationship guy. That's what I prefer. So, and I'm also an open relationship. Go see whoever you want because I know you're going to come back to me because I take care of you. <laughs> I feel that way very much in my business. But it's something that, like, I had had these dates with this guest and she kept on telling me how brassy her hair was and I'm taking personal offense to it because I'm putting ash in her hair. I'm like, how the hell is this coming back brassy and it's not brassy to me because you're brunette. Like, that would never be the term that I would use for your hair. But it was just because she had heard the term and however she chose to define it in her head is what she was asking me for. And that's not her fault. asked everyone in the class like why they did hair I heard at least once or twice that people love doing hair because it's a, a profession where you're there you're there's always an opportunity to learn and to grow people coming together and educating each other across salons and throughout the industry is such a good thing and it's so important I mean that's one of my favorite things about being in the industry is that fact that like I'll never be good enough mm-hmm. and that's my own that's my own choice and that's my own decision as far as like how I want to feel but it, it's something that like I'm so nerdy and how much I like to read and watch stupid videos and things on, they're not stupid, but uh, videos that I choose to watch on the internet and, you know, listening to audio discs of like motivational speakers or just different people that are in different industries. But I always feel like there's always something that I pick up that still resonates in what we do. Mm-hmm. And Tony Robbins is one he talks about life is like riding a bicycle uphill. Once you stop pedaling, you don't stay where you are. You actually regress. And so it's something that like I love about this industry and what I really am passionate about is like constantly learning and constantly learning. And like I've been fortunate enough in the last year to go through a big evolutionary change for myself and create those opportunities to really push myself and push my boundaries. And it's sad to say for the last couple of years, I haven't watched a lot of like uh, free information that's on the Internet. There's Mm -hmm. so many amazing things on like Facebook Live and Instagram Live. 
but it's just something that it's been so cool that for me to kind of get engaged a little bit more and want to learn a little bit more. And, you know, leading up to this class, I couldn't tell you how many videos I watched. I watched more and more and more videos of like the people that I look up to and the people that I get really excited about and just watching their videos and listening to what they're talking about and being like, Oh, that makes sense. That's how can I, how I can apply this into like my craft or that's something that I struggle with. I think I'll get a better end result. And it's just something that I just am continually working on and I just don't think I'll ever be finished. It's something that like, I'll never not suck and I might suck less, Mm -hmm. but like that's the goal is to continue to suck maybe a little bit less and just get a little bit better (laughs) and get a little bit better and maybe a little bit more consistent and be like, okay, that haircut, I can kind of like put it out there and it can be pretty consistent, but like it's something that, you know, there, it doesn't matter like how good something looks, it's never good enough to me. And I'm sure that has something to do with ego involved. But. Well, I really liked how during the class you were talking a lot about your tendencies and how you came to realizations about things that you do simply because of the position of your body or because of bad habits. Yeah. And how you've, as long as you're paying really close attention to that, it changes the way you do hair. And it also seems like you have, you know, you have a relationship with your guests, but you also sort of have a private relationship with the hair itself too. You kept talking about where the hair lives. I heard you use that phrase a lot, which yeah. I think is really cool because it is. I mean, the hair itself, I guess, might be dead, but it's like a, it's part of a living organism. Like hair speaks, not audibly. It doesn't say words. It doesn't have, you know, it doesn't have a nervous system. It doesn't have these different things. But essentially, like, hair speaks to you, and it tells you what it naturally wants to do and what it naturally doesn't want to do. And if you can essentially, like, quiet your mind down to that level, that mm. you can really allow yourself to not get too caught up over, I'm supposed to do this, and I'm supposed to do step one, and then step two, and then step three, and then step four. Maybe during step three, because of the way a growth pattern lives in a hair, if you're too busy or your mind's too full of, like, trying to follow the steps you may miss out on that opportunity that like that hair jumps or it moves just a little bit. And it's something that I think is really interesting. And are you able to speak hair? Are you able to hear what it's telling you? Are you able to hear what it's saying? Mm -hmm. And if you can really kind of connect with it in that way, you can get a better end result out of it. But I feel like generally we're too busy. Our mind's too busy. It's too cluttered. It's too noisy inside of our mind that we don't actually step back and look at what the hair is actually telling us and actually doing to us like something that you hear guests say all the time they're like oh I trained my hair to go this way it's like no you trained yourself <laughs> to influence your hair to go that way like your growth pattern will never change your calyx will never change like unless you lose your hair unless you're someone who unfortunately goes through a medical trauma or something along those lines where you actually will lose your hair um, the hair can grow in and it can have different texture and it can have a very different element to it but I don't know if it really changes growth patterns. I don't know really know if calyx really changed too much. It might become more curly or wavy or less curly and wavy, or it might be more gray or less gray, and it might change color because essentially like your body just went through something crazy and we are what we eat. And mm-hmm. so anything that comes into our body is essentially what's making us up from a cellular level. But it's something that like you can't change hair. You can't change a growth pattern. You can train it or you can blow dry it and you can control it that way. But if you aren't able to recognize that from the beginning, you can run into a big hiccup with whatever you're doing with a haircut if you don't recognize a growth pattern, if you don't recognize a wave pattern, and if you can't really like get to that point of like speaking hair. Do you speak that language? Do you understand that language? Are you able to have a conversation with it so that you can kind of know 
how to get to the end result that you ultimately want to be. And was it a, like a sudden realization where one day you were just doing a cut and you're like, well, I'm, I'm hearing hair? Or is it something that kind of gradually crept into your, to your work? Um, I, I, I'd have to imagine, I can't, I can't, I don't have like a memory of like an, like an epiphany. It was just mm-hmm. like, the cat's talking to me or the hair, <laughs> you know, like it, it's not, it's not something that like ever hit that point. It was more of like listening to my mentors and listening to them talk about things to be mindful of. And, and I really enjoy technical haircutters. It's just something that I'm always drawn to. And, you know, while I agree with some of the points that they talk about, I also disagree with some of the points because I feel like you can cut a technically sound haircut, but you can be a little bit looser with it if you know what the result is going to be. But, like, you only get that through, like, that repetition of doing it over and over and trying to do something a little bit different. But a lot of those technical hairdressers really talk about how important tension is on hair, how important even porosity of making sure that the hair is evenly wet and damp all the way through, and how that plays into the hair. The way that you hold hair, the way that the way you hold hair is going to naturally lift hair, it's going to naturally drop hair, it's going to build weight, it's going to remove weight, it's going to change shape. And it's all of those combination things that ultimately play a factor into your end result. And so just listening to those guys always talk about it, I guess like for me, somewhere along the line, it triggered to like, well, it's a language. There's a language of hair. Like when hair does this, that means it wants me to do this. And when it does this, it means don't do that. Like, and it's something that I started to kind of recognize. If you can have that language and you can have that connection with hair, I think you'll just have a better relationship with it overall. Yeah. As opposed to if you're not speaking the same language and you're telling it to do this and it's not doing it, generally what happens in, I see it all the time when you travel international, is like you see those people arguing, debating, and they're debating in different languages and they generally don't get anywhere and they're truly based off of emotion. And emotion isn't necessarily leading to a better end result. Yeah. And I know that myself, when I am unhappy with how something looks in hair, it generally has emotion involved in it yeah. and I get upset about it where like if I can get to that point of like I can lower those barriers and lower those walls and make sure that I'm communicating with the hair and understanding that, oh, I'm so sorry. I asked you to do this and that's the way I cut it, but you don't want to do that. You want to do this and that's my fault. Yeah. It's not the hair's fault. It's not the hair's fault that it kicks a certain way or bends a certain way. It's my fault because I didn't listen to it and essentially have that common language with it and understanding of how to get to the result that we both want. Well, I think inviting the guest into the process, too, is really cool. Like explaining to them what you're doing and what they need to do to maintain the work that you've done. From my experience, like a really cool salon, people like coming to that salon because they like feeling like they're part of this cool little scene. So anything you're doing to lower the barriers, like they feel like they kind of already speak the language and can get comfortable faster, it's probably going to make for a better experience for everybody overall. Salons are, are a great example. I think tattoo shops are another great example. Mm-hmm. How uncomfortable is it to walk into a tattoo shop? Uh, yes, I've had many awkward interactions with <laughs> tattoo artists just because I don't know. Like, there, it's it's weird, and it's one mm-hmm. of those things that you walk in, and sometimes there's someone at the front to greet you. Sometimes there isn't someone. Sometimes you walk in, and there's artists in there working. Everyone's at their own table, and all of a sudden the heads kind of come up, and then the heads go back down, and you just kind of stand there, and it's really awkward, and it feels really uncomfortable. And I've had great experiences in tattoo shops and not great experiences in tattoo shops. And it really kind of comes down to generally how the shop is run. 
Uh, it also comes down to the tattoo artist um, and how they choose to run their business. But it's just something that like, I know that that's my best example of experiencing like how uncomfortable it can be to be in a space that isn't normal for you or isn't maybe like your everyday experience where most people who walk into their job, they're there 40 hours or more a week yeah. and they're spending that time. And of course they're going to feel pretty comfortable in that space, but every eight weeks they're going to come and share 60 minutes up to three hours with us in our chair. And they're in a space that's not comfortable. And maybe the more they come in, the more comfort they could have. But I think it's nice if you can actually create kind of a community and a connection with them so that they can start to feel more welcome, which is going to help them feel more relaxed. I think it's going to make them enjoy their experience a little bit more. They might get to know the team a little bit more, which generates more uh, group conversations, Mm -hmm. which same thing, it just kind of creates community. And I just think it's really important to try to like deliver that element to people and and by empowering them to ask questions or empowering them to like have a better understanding of like when you ask for that, this is what that kind of translates into in the world from my perspective of hair. And so like, is that the direction that you want to go? Is that what we really want to do? But I guess like what I am hoping to do is hoping to open those lines of communications with guests. Yeah. Well, and it is a lot with a lot of guests. It's a very long term relationship. We you know, you probably have guests who you've who've been through multiple romantic relationships during your time together. <laughs> that so it, in a way, they have a longer relationship with you than maybe they've had with their significant other. I I mean, I think that it's more common than we even realize or even put into terms. I haven't ever necessarily thought about it exactly in that way, but that's actually pretty interesting. Well, you mentioned too, I, I think uh, early on in the class, you were talking about how we are animals. We're just these silly monkeys. And that, you know, even though we're smart and sophisticated, we naturally do things like size people up based on sight lines and like where people's bodies are wide and narrow. And to me, it's always been interesting just because from an anthropological standpoint, like hair and grooming, like especially in this profession, like grooming hair and touching people's hair in troops of chimpanzees or whatever, that's like a very important part of their social structure. That's that like calms down an alpha male who's flipping out and maybe about to rip someone in half. Like if someone can get to him and just start grooming him and cleaning him and it'll calm him and put him at ease so there really is like this deep-seated biological thing happening but then there's also all this there's like tools and products and precision and techniques so it's a strange combination of things I I like that you brought that up because that was something that I had notes and there were things that I'd touch on if they came up or didn't touch on and like that was something that was in my notes because of a, a particular book that I had read and it was it was based upon a zoologist perspective of humans. Was it The Naked Ape? It's The Naked Ape. By Desmond Morris? Such a fantastic book. I've read that book multiple times. I and, love that book. And uh, I just think it's really interesting when he's talking about that part of grooming and the way that he broke it down and exactly what you're saying as far as like how it's part of like the social structure and the community as to how these apes connect and how they actually like resolve issues. Mm-hmm. is A lot of it is through grooming. And, and, it, and I thought it was really interesting that like, you know, you use the example of, of a male being upset and, and being aggressive. And if you groom them, they actually calm down. But like, I thought also what was interesting and what he shared is like, in some cases, that male that's angry or upset actually doesn't want to be groomed. It will groom the other that yeah. it's maybe having conflict with. And it's something that is very reciprocal. And we as hairdressers, it's so cool because it's something that like we get to do. I don't think we as hairdressers have always connected into it. Some that I just recently connected through through that book and thinking about it in that regard is 
what an intimate, personal experience that we do for somebody. Like, how often do you get washed by somebody else? Unless you're in a relationship and you guys like to play in the shower and the bathtub together, but mm-hmm. even generally in most relationships, when you're in those situations, you're not grooming each other. You're not <laughs> like shaving each other, like washing each other, like lathering each other up. You're generally just enjoying some passion and with some water involved because that's out of the norm or, mm-hmm. or that's interesting to you. But it's something that like we do on a daily basis in our day-to-day interactions with our guests in the salon. It's like we're grooming them. We actually are washing and cleansing this protein that grows out of their scalp and essentially trying to deliver in such a way that they're enjoying that experience and, and, and getting that connection. And it's another thing that goes into like the, the element of touch. Mm-hmm. Like, whether whether or not you touch with a different person, like whether it's through a hug or whether through it's through a handshake or whether it's just through like a gentle touch on the shoulder, like there's this interesting transfer of energy. And it's interesting that like we've all experienced that you've been touched by someone. You're like, ooh, yeah, I don't like your energy. I don't like the way you touch. Like there's something about that that, you know. And I'm not going to go and name names, especially with the media and everything that's going on. Sure. There's some people out there touching people not in right ways and not in welcome yeah. ways. But even like a, a handshake that's not quite firm enough can, can be off-putting. Absolutely. And, and it's something that I think that like we as hairdressers maybe don't recognize how vulnerable people are coming in. And they're putting themselves in a position that they are allowing us to connect with them and touch and there's a transfer of energy as well as there's an element of like cleansing and like grooming that we do for somebody that hopefully more often than not has them leaving in a happier, more positive light than they were when they were coming in. And, and it's something that I do agree. I think it's something instinctual within us, like we as animals, like, you know, I think we, we forego and forget that we are a, a member of the mammal family. Mm-hmm because we have intellect and we have intelligence and like we have these things that kind of separate us from it. And that's, a, that's something that makes me sad is that disconnection from mother nature, disconnection from who we are, where I think we could uh, get along better with everybody if we were able to really kind of like tap into that a little bit more and just understand some of those natural tendencies that we have that it's nice to be groomed. It's nice to be taken care of. It's nice to essentially have somebody cleanse or wash your hair and Sometimes as a hairdresser, we don't get it as much. But when you mentioned too a lot about like sharing the sharing of energy, and that's something as the husband of a hairstylist that I I wish I would have realized earlier and been more empathetic or compassionate toward. But like just a, a really busy hairstylist spends all day sharing and receiving energy from a whole variety of people, and just uh, realizing how taxing that can be. Because when she gets home from work my tendency is to like, I want to tell her all about my day and ask her all these questions and share all these ideas. But she really just needs like 20 minutes to just eat some food and not talk and just chill and relax. And so, you know, I think I used to take offense to that when like she wouldn't be paying attention to this and that. But then once, once I kind of realized that and understood that aspect of, of the profession, it was a lot easier for me not to take it personally, which in turn made things easier in general at home. But it really is a very unique profession in that sense. I mean, I'm guilty of that with my own partner. And when I get home from work, like, she doesn't get the best of me, especially, like, I have a couple days that I do long hours. And when I get home from those days, like, all I want to do is I just want to, like, relax. I want to eat some food. 
maybe watch some cartoons and go to bed. Mm -hmm. And it's something that like, I recognize that it's because of what I do and I recognize that it is because of the energy that I put into those things and it, uh, the conversations that I'm having with guests, but it is something that I also recognize. I'm like, it's kind of unfair to my partner and it kind of makes me feel terrible. Like it, yeah. it's something that I recognize and it's something that I'm like, ah, oh, I could be so much better. I could but do, I could facet of your profession. Um, if it, you were on a whaling boat, you just wouldn't be around for stretches at a time. So that's true. It, it's, uh, but it is something that I, I wish I could come into a better place or maybe it's a more balanced place and like giving that energy and giving that experience to somebody without depleting all of my reserves. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's where it's something that like I, I wish I, I wish I had a simple answer for it. It's something that I've had awareness for more years than I can count. It is something that like I think is one of the one of the challenging things that we do experience in our in our industry, especially if you have busy days. You're putting out a lot of energy. You're putting out a lot of uh, conversation, and sometimes the energy you're receiving back because people have their own crud going on. And, they do, and sometimes that gets kind of left with you. Hopefully, they leave feeling better, but sometimes it still kind of resides with you, and it can kind of carry home. And I think that's where it's important for us as hairdressers to do our best and not allow it to cross over into our personal life. But I, I can openly admit that I'm just as guilty. People, when they're in your chair, are very vulnerable. And I think maybe for that reason, too, a lot of times stylists become de facto therapists, too. And so you you are just absorbing infra- not just um, energy from people, but an energy they probably don't typically put out or give to other people. You know, They yeah. might have other people in their life that they're close to, but... I feel like uh, hairdressers often are privy to things that even significant others don't know just because it's such a unique little sliver of time that you spend together where they really are feeling vulnerable and open and in a trusting space. For sure. There's this other great book. I wish I, I had a copy here and then I took it home because I really like reading it, but it's uh, Wendy Cooper. It's just a book called Hair. But I knew I was going to love this book because right when I started reading it, the first chapter, I think in the first paragraph, she references The Naked Ape. Starts talking about it right away. But she spends a lot of time, too, talking about like what hair communicates just on an animal level, like the size of your hair, yeah. the, how you wear your facial hair, all that stuff. What I want to know, because for as long as I've known you, you've had very long hair. And, you know, I think as a, as a male with long, beautiful hair that <laughs> a lot of other female stylists I would, would always envy, how much thought, like your hair is short now, you cut it short. Do you have to think about how that's going to impact your profession at all? Do, does you, like, do you think about what your hair is communicating to your guests? Do you have to take that into consideration like when you change your hairstyle radically? I, I guess maybe. The, the thing that made me laugh with wearing my hair long and you know, hearing all the nice compliments that I would receive from it or hearing from my coworkers in what their guests would share of like, I want my hair to look like his. Mm-hmm. And the, my favorite part about that is those friends of mine or coworkers of mine essentially being like, well, if you did what he did, you might be able to get those results. And that goes into like that real talk that you have to have with their guests. Like when I wore my hair long, it got washed twice a month. It would get wet on a daily basis or like every couple of days, but it, I'd never actually like shampooed or conditioned it regularly. Um, I really didn't fuss with my texture too much. I allowed my texture to do what it needed to. And so like those are some things that were just like innate with me. They're just things that I have that like not everyone can have because maybe not everyone has my texture or wave pattern or thickness or density of hair. 
And so, like, sometimes when people say that, their expectations are, are skewed, and that's where it was, it's important for us to kind of help guide them back in that general direction. Which I is was, funny, because it's actually less work, you, or it would seem. It was, it was pretty low-key, and that was another reason why, it and, why I liked it. I didn't even brush it. I didn't, even, I didn't do much <laughs> with it. Like, that's part of the element that is so funny to me about it is that I had this really interesting kind of perception about me from other people wondering how I got my hair, but I got it through not really doing much of anything. And that's why I enjoyed wearing it long. But, you know, going into like, do I worry about my perception and what people are going to see of me now that like my hair is cut short? And, And one of the things for me... I don't know if you recall two years ago when I cut it pretty short I, mm-hmm. or shorter, short yeah. for me. This is definitely the shortest I've ever seen it. And it's something that like when I cut it two years ago, I just kind of needed to check in with myself. It was actually more of like an ego check mm-hmm. with me than it was anything. It was something that like... Like, am I Samson? Am I deriving too much power from my hair? <laughs> I, I think I just enjoyed the attention or I enjoyed the conversation or I enjoyed the comments that I got on my hair. And I felt like, am I wearing my hair long because I love it or am I wearing my hair long because of the attention that I receive of it? And like, you know, what, what that does in like, you know, like, What's it? People talk about different buckets that you have that get filled up, and like some of them are filled up by other people, and some of them are filled up by like your own decisions and your own choices and actions. And I feel like a lot of that geared towards hair was really towards the other people. I really enjoyed that kind of like attention that I got from it, or I enjoyed the people who, you know, wanted to come up and talk to me about my hair or were intrigued about me because of like what what I, what I guess like whatever image they got out of me walking into a room or walking in somewhere, they were like, oh, that guy's interesting. I wonder what he's all about. And so I enjoyed that side of it. But I felt like for me, I felt like that came to be like almost like a piece of my identity. And I felt like in a way I almost was losing myself because of like I was allowing my hair to be my identity and be a part of what I wanted and I think a lot of that was based upon the fact of the uh, attention that I got from it. And so I, d- I, I cut that hair the first time. Really, that was the main reason was to address that situation and see how it was. And it was interesting. I got really good feedback mm-hmm. when I cut it off and like still received some nice compliments. I also received some like, why would you do that? Why would you cut off all your hair? Like, well, why not? It's, it does grow it, back. It's going to grow back. And so... That's essentially what I spent the last two years doing was growing it back because I, I missed it. When I cut it off, I missed it, and I wanted to grow it back. And uh, as I grew it out and started getting to the point that it was gaining some good length and getting to places that I was before I had cut it that first time, I also started realizing some of like the annoyances of having long hair, of like when you sleep, it ends up in your mouth or it ends up on your face, and like it's always in the way, and uh, enjoying the activities that I do it started to give me problems. It would get twisted and dreadlock, and I was having to brush it more than I, than I remembered having to brush it. And uh, it was just something that, like, kind of through those things, I kind of connected with it and was like, I think I'm just ready to kind of go short again and see what happens. And at this point, how do I kind of put my feet in? I had tested the water a little bit, and I didn't go as far down that road as I wanted to the first time, but it was because I was scared. Yeah. Ultimately, it was it was a fear based decision, and I want this haircut because I know I can grow it out easily if I don't like it, 
And I don't think I loved that haircut as much as I liked my short hair because mm. it was a fear-based choice. It was a compromise, sort of. Where like going into like this level of shortness, I think was kind of fun, and it was it was also fun. I think just in like the image that I wanted to get out of it, which I think is also kind of what I felt like I got out of my long hair is I wanted kind of like a DIY, like do it yourself kind of style. And like, that's essentially what my long hair was. I didn't, I just did whatever I needed to with it, but it just kind of just did itself. And that's, what's been kind of fun about going into a shorter haircut is something that is kind of like crappy in a way because it seems like it was like home done well you had your, your wife cut it right she did so you kind of guided her through the process well I was the goal was I was going to go in and just do it myself but uh-huh. I realized that like because of me wanting that kind of like DIY or like punk look to it essentially yeah. like you know it's it's the the era that I grew up in and like all these punk rockers when I was a teenager and even punk rockers before that they all had like really crappy bad like punk hair like it wasn't well done they're not going into a nice salon and paying a bunch of money for it um but it still created this like trend and it and that trend created people going into salons asking for that for that kind of style and uh you know just something that i i because i'm in the industry of beauty style is always interesting to me and what people find to be stylish or what trends are and a lot of the trends over the last I don't know, five to 10 years, of, especially in men's hair, has really kind of evolved into this very groomed, this very polished look. And a lot of it has certain elements of where it's long in places, it's short in places, and it has that kind of element to it. And I felt like my vision of what I wanted of cutting my hair off is I wanted something that was in more of that like punk world, that DIY world. And I was just going to do it myself but I realized that like I would be able to achieve that look probably better by having my uh, my partner do it mm-hmm. and guiding her through the steps of doing it because her arms aren't attached to me. So she's going to be able to get to areas. She also has eyes that she can see certain things that I'm not able to see. And so I felt like I would still be able to get the result that I wanted, but by going to someone who has no understanding of hair, mm-hmm. I'm going to get that rough kind of punk element to it that I ultimately wanted where like if I went to um, a hairdresser, just even if I was able to go to myself, I may not be able to be loose enough with it because I have this kind of innate thing of wanting to be very technical and take it a certain way. And sometimes I think that that kind of handcuffs me and doesn't, it doesn't give me that uh, possibility to deliver that kind of looser kind of not perfect look. And so I felt like by having my wife do it, I would be able to achieve those things while still also getting probably a far better quality haircut than I would give to myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of like where where it all where it all stemmed from. And yeah, she did a great job. I think she did great. I and I have I've been cutting into it ever since. Like I just mm-hmm. needed someone to constrict it down, and now that's constricted down, I have no idea what I'll do with it. I'll probably just like poke holes in it with scissors and like cut bad things into it and. Because why not? I just, I, I think, uh, I don't know. I, I just think that, you know, with the way that trends are going, like, I just don't see myself wearing that really, like, gentlemanly, groomed, polished haircut. Yeah. It's just not my style. So, like, I prefer something that's a little bit rougher. And, and it's been something that, like, I think we'll start seeing trends change. It's mm-hmm. something that I'm already kind of pushing some guys into 
in in my uh, in in that in that uh, guest world, like guiding them away from those like picture perfect fades and things, and just moving them into like messy bed hair, like it, mm-hmm. you know something that is a little bit more textured, something that is a little bit more messy, and and I think it's been fun to cut maybe like maybe the best way to define it is like a well cut bad haircut. Mm-hmm. And I've been delivering that to like some of my buddies that essentially they don't pay me for haircuts. So it's one of those things that like I get to kind of have the fun that I want with it. But it's just something that like it's been fun for me to give them haircuts that one one friend, for an example, like after we got done, he's just like, what's your vision with this? And I'm like, I just want someone to ask you if someone blind cut your hair. Mm-hmm. Nothing against the blind community, but it's just like one of those <laughs> things that like I wanted someone to look at his haircut and be like, that is so bad it, but it clearly was intentional but it was yeah. intentional and there and there was purpose behind it and uh, me and that friend succeeded uh, a co-worker that he had asked him cracking a joke asking if his haircut was cut by somebody blind and, and he, you were like, he, yeah. he celebrated and sent me a message he's like just guess what i just got asked like we succeeded <laughs> so i guess in that in that itself like that was success but it, I just, I think it's something that like is really interesting in how trends and styles evolve. And like, I think it's kind of fun to push that boundary a little bit and, yeah. and try not to give someone a perfectly cut haircut, but maybe like a perfectly cut bad haircut with purpose and, and, yeah. and I don't know, passion. Well, it's interesting too, because I, I would say not nine times out of 10, but I'm going to say maybe seven times out of 10, if uh, I'm out with Nikki and she sees a haircut on somebody that she really likes and then asks them about it. They did it themselves. It's it's uncanny how often she's like, "Oh my god, I love your hair." And then now at this point, she's like, "Did you cut it yourself?" I'm like, yeah, I did. She's yeah. like, "I knew it." There's there's just things that we do, and that's something that I've been trying to like. There's a there's a technical way that you can apply that into a technical style of hair, mm-hmm. but it kind of goes against a lot of the rules that you're taught or some of the guidelines that you're taught. But a lot of people, when they cut their own hair, they do a lot of what's called condensed cutting they generally pull it into one area and they cut it. And what they don't realize is when you condense cut things, it creates corners and it creates like different lengths in places and it creates like different shortness in places. And that's what like my uh, partner experienced when she was cutting my hair because of her being right-handed and her tendency as she cut around my head shape, it ended up being longer on one side and shorter on the other because the way she naturally pushes and pulls hair. Hmm. And that's kind of what I wanted it to have that. I still want it to be as balanced as possible, but I wanted it to have that element of push and pull that happens in hair that creates inconsistency of lengths and shortnesses and lengths and shortnesses and corners and shelves. And a lot of those things that like, especially those, those words aren't considered sexy in our industry. Like no one comes in and is like, I want a really shelfy haircut. <laughs> or I want a I want a haircut that has a lot of like inconsistencies and weird and awkward yeah. lengths and like weird weight weight placement. But typically, when people cut their hair or in that world of like punk or like are willing to do that, they'll create those things without even understanding why they're doing them. And I guess that's like what I find really interesting in like taking my background and my knowledge of hair and how to kind of apply those natural tendencies that we would do if we were doing it ourselves. Yeah. And that's where I feel like I can deliver a great experience and a great haircut that should have good longevity, but still has that element of kind of that do-it-yourselfer kind of crappiness to it, yeah. which to me I think makes it more interesting. Yeah, I think one of the best haircuts I got in like high school was in a hotel room in California. 
with a pair, like Swiss Army knife scissors, and we'd all been drinking 40s. Yeah. But it was just like this, it was almost like this haircut just captured a, a weird little moment in time, and it was like a choppy, weird, kind of bad haircut, but it, something about it just ended up perfect, which yeah. is kind of a cool thing. One other thing you said in the class that I, that I really liked, and this would be a nice thing to close on too, is uh, the idea that, you know, in this profession, you, you are, you're in complete control of your character, but not your reputation. Am I getting it right? Yeah. Yeah. And that, that is something I hadn't really thought of in those terms, but like what, what valuable advice that is, because so much of your reputation is what everything's hinging on, but really the only way you can influence it is by working on your character, right? For sure. I, I wish I could actually reference what it came from. It's, those are not those are not my own original ideas. Those definitely were taken, just like everything that I share for the most part. Yeah. This is not original content. This is not like... There's no such thing anyway you know, in all of the world. It's all on it's, the shoulders of someone else. It's, so. it's pretty hard to have that, but it's something that I wish I could remember where I got it from, but I, I remember it was definitely in a book that I was reading, and it just triggered so heavily with me because it's just one of those things that like, sometimes I feel like we get caught up on what our reputation is and like how we want our reputation to be perceived. And in all actuality, we're in zero control of it. We mm. have no control as to like what someone's going to say when they leave your space. Like you may hope because of the way the interaction went, like they leave and they're like, that person's awesome. Have you met this person? This person's so great. Like, and, and I know you can hedge your bets a little bit by like doing things consistently and like being a certain way and, I, I, well, but I yeah, think, you don't have control. Well, I think that's what it comes down to is it comes down to like what you consistently deliver to somebody. And uh, it's interesting that like uh, I think consistency builds trust. And someone becomes trustworthy, but I guess like, or maybe, maybe the word is reliable. Like I, I think we all have friends that are more reliable than others, but they're also not maybe the or may, friends that you trust more than others, but they're also not as reliable as somebody else. And I think that comes into uh, some, of, some of the things that you can do, especially in our industry, of like your consistency. If you're consistent with what you deliver to each person and if you're consistent with your character, essentially people are going to uh, have that uh, form of trust with you and they're going to build that form of trust because they just know what they can rely on and what they're going to get out of you from uh, a day-to-day experience that they have in your, in your salon. And like what I hope happens with that is that it builds my reputation because that's what they're talking about. When they leave, they're like, oh, I love this guy because he's consistent. I, I get the most consistent color. I get the most consistent haircut. I very strongly believe they could go sit in someone else's chair and get a better haircut mm-hmm. and get a better color maybe more technically sound, maybe like moves the way that they want it to and, and does those things. But if that person hasn't practiced the element of consistency, mm-hmm. they could go back to that person and ask for the same thing and it's not delivered. And they go back and they ask for the same thing. And I hear it as a, as a stylist when someone comes and sits in my chair that has been seeing someone else, a lot of it is like, oh, well, they just weren't, they just weren't consistent. Mm-hmm. Well, you shared that story, too, about uh, losing a client who uh, just wanted to go somewhere that was more conveniently located and that you recommended some people to them and like were excited to continue that relationship. And you wanted you actually like, were asking them, like, how was the service? Can you send me pictures? I'm just really curious. 
And then the feedback was that the the service, like the haircut was great, but that the service wasn't quite what they were used to. And I, I think you made a you made that point a few times in the class too, that like you want to make sure everyone gets the same head massage each time. Another thing that you're kind of known for, the head massage. Well, I, I, it's something that like for a long time, you know, you're taught not to be a cookie cutter hairdresser, which essentially means cutting the same haircut on every single person, which is not my, which is not my goal, but like my goal is to have these arsenals or, or, you know, essentially like bullets in my belt that when it comes out and it's time for me to fire, I know what bolt I can go to, or I know what tool I can reach for to get the end result that I want. And by practicing those things over and over and over and where that is essentially like sometimes it's doing that same haircut and it is the same haircut on five, six different people. But even though you're using the same technique and you're using the same kind of like rhythm and you're using the same kind of steps, it's going to look different on all five or six people because how thick their hair is, how uh, their wave pattern is going to work what length you cut it at, whether it was a little bit shorter, whether it was a little bit longer, like you're, you're going to get different end results. And so I found that I got a little hung up sometimes on trying not to be a cookie hair cutter. And so I was always trying to do all these like crazy things or, or change these things or make it very like avant-garde on each person. But what I found is I had a hard time being consistent and delivering the same thing to them all the time. And so when I backed off a little bit and kind of got into a rhythm where I kind of practiced a few things and got those things set in where like I felt really confident with them, then I could actually start practicing another thing and practicing another thing. So like I feel now I do have a a pretty wide range of arsenal of what I can deliver for somebody, but I can deliver it in a way that I know I can still be consistent with it. And I think that's essentially like what I hope to build my reputation on is, is that character of consistency as well as also just like an element of politeness, like please and thank yous and um, offerings of like, as before I step away, can I get you anything? Like just lo- those different elements that I think like really kind of uh, take things to a next level for somebody. Mm-hmm. I, I actually have a memory of a gentleman that I was cutting his hair and uh, I was doing his hair and he saw a previous uh, coworker that had left the salon and I was, he was seeing me for his first time. And, and as I was cutting his hair, I kept on referring to him as sir, just because I think that's the polite thing to do. Like, um, and, and when it comes to, uh, uh, as far as like ladies, I try to use the word miss over the term ma'am, because I think it's a like, trigger word that ma'am, I think like miss and sir are kind of ageless. Mm-hmm. But there's an element of like uh, respect that goes along with those words. And I was calling this guy sir, and he got pissed. <laughs> and he asked me not to call him sir. And I, I apologized and said, you know, that, sorry, the, that isn't like my intent. Like, and from that point forward, I, I addressed him by his name. And it was something that like uh, I thought it was interesting in... Not everybody likes that level, you know, that type of service or wants something like that. And, that, and that's where there's nothing wrong with it. It's, everyone's different. And that's where, like, you have to kind of learn how to cater to each individual in particular. Like, some people want to be spoken to in, in more respectful terms where this individual, that was, not, that was not what he ultimately wanted. And I appreciate that he had the comfort to essentially let me know. Yeah, that and, feedback uh, is crucial. And it was one of those things that, like, we, we addressed it and we kind of moved on from it. Um, 
but but I just think it's it's really important in like how you how you treat people and it goes into like the basic principle of life you know mm-hmm. how do you want to be treated yeah. if you want to be talked to in a certain way you should probably talk to people in that way if you want to be treated a certain way you should probably treat others in that way and I think we're all guilty of doing and not doing that throughout the course of our life but the more consistent we can get with it which only comes from practice yeah and that repetition of doing things over and over and over expecting better results like everyone talks about like repeating something over and over and over expecting different results is the term of insanity and I'm like well no it's also the term for growth like I am looking for different results I'm looking for better results I'm looking for a better consistent uh, outcome or like it's, it's one of those things that like I am going to repeat something and repeat something and repeat something and repeat something and look for a different result but I'm looking for it because I'm trying to pick up like maybe where I wasn't as clean as I could be or I wasn't as good as I could be or maybe I didn't choose the right words like I, I can't count how many times I, I can finish a day and I can relive conversations in my head and just have that shame that shame hangover of like those are such bad choice of words. You could have been so much better about that. You could have chosen such a better term or you could have not gone down that road with that person. You could have not encouraged that conversation to happen. We could have had a better result, but it's just one of those things that like, I can't change. I can't change what ultimately happened. Like the now is really the only thing I have control over, Mm -hmm. but I do find myself even at the end of my day going through and rethinking through conversations and just being like, damn it. Well, it's an industry that, uh, there are so many variables that you're dealing with, uh, with every guest. And so, yeah, I think you do, you want that consistency, but you also don't want to be rigid. You want to be flexible too. So yep. it's, it takes a while, I would imagine, to develop that balance and to be comfortable kind of in that gray area that you have to occupy sometimes. Yeah. I don't, I don't see the end of end result or the destination coming up anytime soon. So but you don't want to because you're going to be growing forever and working forever. That's the goal. Good times. Cheers. Thank you so much. Hair 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 is produced in partnership with Natch 9000 and was recorded at Needle in the Hay Salon in Denver's Cherry Creek North neighborhood. Find out more about our salon at needleinthehaysalon.com where you'll also find a blog post with photos and a video from Mark's visit. You can follow us on social media at Needle in the Hay Salon, which is where we'll announce new episodes of this podcast. Until next time, hair today, hair tomorrow. Thank you.